I've been listening to that all week. And it doesn't get any less. It gets heavier in your heart. You know, and I listen to that. I ask myself, do I know him? Of course I know him. But do I know him? Do I really know him? And his heart is that we would know him. He's, he's a good father. He's the greatest father. And on this, father day, on this Father's Day, the Lord put one thing on my heart. It was to magnify the father and to thank him for his son. And that, we could just go home after watching that, honestly. I say this every time. I have like seven pages, but it's really not a lot. <laughs> all you guys that come on Tuesday night. But Father, we just thank you. I thank you, first of all, Lord God, for the fathers in this house. I thank you, Lord. It's no small thing to be a father. You call them to raise children, your precious children, the greatest gift that we could ever have as a child, and to lead them to the knowledge and the glory of the Father and to the Son. And Lord, I thank you for those fathers here today that not have only done that, and even if they hadn't done it in their past, they are sitting in this house and they have an opportunity to pray and continue to pray to see their children and their grandchildren and their children's children grow in the stature of Jesus Christ and to serve you. Lord, we thank you that you've given them that gift. We appreciate them, Lord God. And Father, we appreciate you. We just want to say happy Father's Day to you, not just today, but every day. It shouldn't be one day that we recognize you, Lord God, but on this day, we want to magnify you above all fathers, because without you, they couldn't even be a father. Without you, Father God, we can do nothing. And so, Lord God, we thank you, and I, I thank you that your heart is to encourage us today. You want to let us, you said to me, let them know that I love them, and that I am with them, and to never, ever forget that I am a good, good father. And Father God, that's where we stand this day, and I just pray by your spirit, our hearts would be melted and strengthened, Lord God. Tears that wouldn't make us weak, but they make us strong in the knowledge of God. In Jesus' name. He is a good, good father. I didn't know uh, that you knew that you were going to do that song. <laughs> it was really, really awesome. So, um, the man who preached that sermon, his name is S.W. S.M., and I think actually that's his name, S.M., he was saying, when I went up to look him up, I think from the 50s and 60s, and his name is um, Reverend Lockridge. And that's, you know, you can get that anywhere. I think the first time I heard it, my husband introduced it to me, and then we play it on Easter. But sometimes, you know, you hear the words, and uh, you hear it before the sermon starts, and it quite doesn't penetrate your heart what's being said. So I asked TJ if we could do it afterwards, that so maybe that we could hear the words and listen to it, really understand who our king is. It defines him. It defines his goodness, his greatness, his love, and his power. And the Lord wants us to know that in our life there is goodness and, and love, and there is power and there's authority. And even though there could be hard times and dark times, globally disastrous times, we stand in the kingdom of God. We have a father who says, fear not. We have a God who wants to rescue us. He wants to help us. And he wants us to stay in that mindset. Because if we understand, fully understand, as I was listening to that all week, the more I understand it, the less fear I have. The more I understand it, the less concerns I have. Because that's what it does. The knowledge of him pushes away our fears. The knowledge of him pushes away doubt. So if anything comes out of today, my heart is that we would truly know him. Our Father in heaven wants us to know him. 
He wants us to understand the immeasurable love that he has and that he gave his son, the one and only son, who is God himself, who was and is and is to come. He gave us his spirit to remind us of his great love and his great power. It's the spirit of God who reminds us who he is when we tend to forget. The greatest father in all eternity is our father God. He is full of compassion and grace, creates life out of nothing. That amazes me that one of his names, Elohim, means he created something out of nothing. There's no other God that can do that. And why do we try so hard to do anything when he can just create something out of nothing? This is our Father who is in heaven. He speaks and it is done. His name is Holy, Adonai, Elohim, the one who creates something out of nothing, Yahweh, the God who always existed and will continue to exist. We're going to magnify him on this Father's Day. And I pray the Spirit of God really gets inside of our heart and mind that when we leave here, our thoughts would be on him. You know, sometimes, you know, David said the, that the heavens declare his glory. That's why I like to sit in my backyard sometimes and just sit there. I'm not just vegetating. I'm just thinking, really, how can anyone not believe in this great God? Just look at the heavens. Look at the stars. Look at the moon. Look at the sun. Touch your heart. How do we breathe? How do we recover? How do we walk? How do we see? And in color, right? He is a, an amazing God. And so he likes when we take time to, to look at the heavens and then we, too, will declare his glory. That's what he's after in these dark days, because there's so many he wants drawn to himself. So we're going to magnify him. In Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his holy name. He's our father. He's our father. You know where, where he said he is my king. He's our king. But I loved how he kept saying, this is my king. He's my king. He's not just your king. He's my king. He's not just for the elite. He's not just for the rich. He's my king. And when we understand that he's our personal king, you know, not that we take advantage of him, why should we fear? Why should we dread anything? The future holds only good things. And it, it holds eternity. We have to think way beyond our future, way behind our, uh, you know, our old age, into eternity where we, we are young again and we are with him forever. So we shouldn't let our circumstances stop us from seeing the greatness of his power. And that's one of the things I want to focus on, how we sometimes we let our circumstances stop us from seeing the greatness of his power. Now, he understands we're weak. He understands that fear comes. He understands that trials come. But he wants us to, to move aside and look at the greatness of his power. And as the man said, I wonder, do we know him? Today, as we remind ourselves of his goodness... We're going to encourage ourselves in his faithfulness. The Lord wants us to be expect, expectant. I almost said expecting for all you mothers out there. He wants us to be expectant. He wants us encouraged, full of hope, full of faith. He's good. He is faithful and he is able. He wants us to declare his mighty deeds with great confidence. In times of tribulation, global upheaval, that we can still say that he is our king. He is my king. God is good and his mercies are new every morning. It's the love of God that draws men to repentance. He's reminding us today that he specializes in the impossible, the broken, the lost, the crippled. He specializes in breaking chains. We should never forget that. We look at people that are bound and we look at hard situations, but we forget that he is the chain breaker, delivering the hardest of hearts with the power of his might and his love. He tears down kingdoms and he builds them back up because he is all powerful. Sometimes we need to, we look at people, do we know anybody who seems to be undeliverable? We all know somebody, right? 
Do we know somebody that we think is unsavable, beyond healing, beyond changing? Nothing is impossible. Do we know of circumstances that cannot change? There is no hope in sight. He wants us to know that nothing is impossible because he is our king. He is our king and he is your king. He's mine. He's yours. We need to cry out to him and seek him because he's listening and he will bring the answers. We only just need to believe and not believe strenuously. You know, people say have, you know, they have faith in their faith. We just believe that he is as we meditate on him. We think about his greatness and all the things that he's ever done. A.W. Tozer said, since he has at his command all the power of the universe, the Lord omnipotent can do anything as, le- as easily as anything else. Nothing is too hard. There is no person in your life that is too hard. You're not too hard for him. There is nothing that's been divided that he can't bring together. In the book of Genesis 17, God makes a covenant with Abram, and he's 99 years old. It says, I just want to read his names, and I'm not going to go through the whole covenant. I just want to read the names that are used in those first three uh, verses. And when you look at it in the Hebrew, it actually has the names. It doesn't just say Lord or God. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty, or El Shaddai. He's saying to him, I am El Shaddai. I want you to walk before me, and I want you to be blameless. El Shaddai means the mighty one who has the power and strength to nourish, satisfy, and abundantly supply for you. Then he says, I will establish my covenant between you and me, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God, Elohim, talked with him. So first he establishes himself as El Shaddai, and then he says he calls himself Elohim. So we need to understand the power of that name, the one who creates out of nothing, Elohim, all-powerful God, who shows his works that he is creator, sustainer, and supreme judge of the world, the one who creates out of nothing. Abram had nothing. He had nothing to give even in that contract, right? His body was dried up. The promise of a son wasn't happening in Abram, right? But God was saying to him, as he says to us, I am the God that can create of nothing. I'm the one who's going to nourish you. I'm going to help you. I am a good, good, good father. And I'm constantly, my eyes are constantly running to and fro to support you and to help you. That's our king. Jesus is there with him. He says, I am the mighty one who has the power and strength to nourish, satisfy, and abundantly supply. And I am Elohim, the one who creates out of nothing. At 99, Abram had nothing, nothing to give, but he brought forth a son. Only God could do that. And out of the son was an abundance, and a nation came forth. And a son came, just one promise, and a whole nation was created. So why should we ever doubt him? Why would we fear and let Fear enter our soul, doubt and unrest. It does come, like I said. We're not super, you know, super humans who, who never have a bad day. That's not the issue. The issue is what do we do with the fear when it comes? What do we do with the doubt? We look to God. Is there anything he cannot do? He didn't need Abraham's physical abilities. He doesn't need our abilities and strength. He only wants our faith, faith in him, trust in him. He wants our intimacy. He wants our whole heart. He wants us to remember, remember who he is. The one thing he wants and commands is not hard. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. 
Is there any father that doesn't want their children to love him, right, to love them? You know, when your children are home and they're, they seem to be a nuisance and they're young, you have to remind yourself that they're a gift from God. When your children move out, you still get to see them, but sometimes you just miss them. You know, you just think, you know, you just want to talk to them. You just want to call them because a, a parent always wants to hear from their child. Our father always wants to hear from us, and he just says, this is all I really require of you. The rest will come, is that you love me with all your heart soul, strength, and mind, depending on your translation. Leonard Ravenhill said, he was a preacher in the 1900s, he said, a man who is intimate with God never needs to be intimidated by man. I love that quote that he said. Because when you're intimate with God, when you love him with your whole heart, it's not just man that you're not intimidated by. You're not intimidated by the trial that you're going through. You're not intimidated by the circumstances you find yourself in because you're intimate with God, and you know that his love for you is real, and it's true. Never intimidated by what we see or what we hear. Our hearts should be sounding his praises. You are my king. My king is sovereign. My king has immeasurable love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast, enduringly strong. Beyond his power, we need to understand his heart, his desire like a shepherd to lead us and a father who feeds us. In the morning till the evening, the sun rises again. Kathy would remember that song, but it's out of the the Psalms, because he is the great I am. In Luke 12, 22, there's the, the parable. Oh, wait, I got ahead of myself. In Luke 12, 22, it says, the Lord says, um, he talks about the ravens and not to worry about what you'll eat, not to worry about what you'll, what you'll drink, not worry about your clothing, and goes on and on and on. And then he says, seek not all that you will eat or what you will drink, neither, be doubt, neither have a doubtful mind. See, the Lord is saying, do not doubt me. I'm going to take care of you. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need of these things. But rather, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. And then one of the greatest lines to show the heart of the Father ever in verse 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, he's a good Father who has a great desire to give you all of his kingdom. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's, he's, he's amazing. We can't even wrap our mind around it. His good pleasure is to give us this kingdom. He delivered us through the cross, and he wants us to dwell in the kingdom. Jesus said, pray this way. My Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, We did a Bible study a few weeks ago, and we said we should pray this every day because you're asking. It's not just something that you learned in nursery or Bible study or nursery school, whatever church that you were raised in. You learned that prayer. We could all say it really fast if we had to. But when you take it apart where he's saying, just my father who is in heaven, your name is holy, you are El Shaddai, you are Elohim, you are Yahweh, you are Lord, and you're saying that I can ask that your kingdom would come upon me as it is in heaven, it could happen here. There's not a day I don't drive to work that I don't pray that prayer. And you ask for his kingdom, and it shields you and protects you. And it's not by intellect, right? It's just by faith. You don't know what's going to happen throughout the day. But throughout the day, you can, see the, you can see the fruit of that kingdom. You can see the peace of that kingdom. You can see things turning around. We want his kingdom to come upon us. But more than us wanting it, he wants it for us. He wants us, his kingdom to be upon us. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. 
His kingdom can't be seen, but the fruit will be seen. In Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We can live there. His kingdom come. It comes through revelation and not intellect. When you can do that, when everyone else around you who does not know the Lord is starting to freak out and say, how can you be so calm? You can say, it's not me. Trust me. Uh, I jump when the toast pops. I mean, ask my husband. Ask Aaron. Ask anyone. The, the kids constantly stand behind me and say, boo, and, and then I jump and I'm gone. I mean, that's just me. But when something happens and the peace of God comes and everybody else is out of order, it declares the works of God. It declares his goodness. It declares his grace. All of a sudden, they feel like, well, maybe it's going to be okay. You know, they'll be like, well, if Jeannie feels like it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And I go, it's not Jeannie. Trust me. It's the Lord is saying it's going to be okay. It's going to work out. And he says that to all of us. It's going to work out. It doesn't matter how it works out. It's going to work out. The Lord wants us encouraged. He has so much for us, and he's about to do something amazing in the lives of his own. I believe it with all my heart. Even in this great darkness, he's about to do something great in the life of his own. He's going to continue to heal those who are broken. He's going to bring in the lost and the confused, abundance to those in debt, refreshing the tired and weary, showing himself to the fearful. The kingdom of God is our reality. It cannot be purchased. The kingdom of God cannot be gained by our great efforts. It is given to us, our dwelling place, the Father. It is received by faith. It is imparted to us through revelation. The Father desires us to live and dwell in his kingdom. Jesus is explaining in this, the kingdom of God in this parable in Matthew 25. He talks about the talents, and I'm not going to talk about the talents in the, in the sense that it's always been talked about, and I, I know that that is true and it's right. But the Lord highlighted something else to me this week in, uh, in this uh, parable. And remember, he's talking, Jesus is talking, giving examples of the kingdom when he says this parable. So we know there was three men, and they all were told to invest by the master. He gave one three talents, one five, and the other one only got one. So when you get down to the one, the other was, we know, they doubled their money. And it was well done, good and faithful servant, right? They did something with what they had. But now this one, he says, now the one who had received the one talent also came up and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter seed. And I was afraid, so I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. You still have what is yours. But his master angry said to him, You worthless, lazy slave, did you know that I reap where I did not sow and I gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have put the money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent and give it to the one who has ten. When the master repeats in this parable what the man said, if you notice, he never says, I knew you to be a hard man. Because God, the Father, is not a hard man. He's not hard. He's righteous and he disciplines. But when he repeats the third man's example of who he thought God was, he only repeats this part. I knew you to be reaping where you do not sow and that you gather where you do not seed. But the master never repeats this, master, I knew you to be a hard man. The enemy wants us to believe that God is hard, unapproachable. He's a pharaoh, right? He's a hard taskmaster. He does that so he can grip us and he keeps us in into captivity. When we know the goodness of God, we know, when we know that he's for us, we know he's quick to forgive us, aren't we going to run to the throne? Aren't we going to keep coming to him? Aren't we going to keep proclaiming who he is? So that shows the heart of the Lord. Jesus is comparing this to his kingdom. Those who had the revelation of the master and, and the purpose of the kingdom doubled what was given. 
The last one had a wrong perception of the master. How sad that he was given the opportunity to increase the kingdom, but his opinion of the master was wrong. He said, I knew that you were a hard man. Maybe he thought he was like Pharaoh, a hard taskmaster. He never explained. He never entered into himself, to into his kingdom, or produced any increase because he didn't know him. See how important it is to know him? Even when he rebukes us, even when he disciplines us, we have to know it's out of love. We have to know he's not hard. He's not hard. The enemy is hard. The enemy wants to divide. The enemy wants to lie. Our God is not hard. He's agape love. So we must know that he's a good God. He's full of love. Jesus will rescue us. He'll help us. He'll free us no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've fallen. He's going to keep rescuing you. He's going to give to us. He's going to, he's going to enlighten us. He's not hard. He is merciful. He's slow to anger and abundant in grace, a very present help in time of need. Very present. He will discipline, but he is always good. Words from Rescue and Lauren Daigle's song. I know a lot of people don't listen to her anymore, but this song, the words in this song is so awesome. The very first part says, um, she's singing, or he, the Lord is saying to her, you are not hidden. There has never been a moment that you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. I hear your whispers. I hear your SOS. And then he says, and this is who our Lord is, I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue you. That's what truth is. I'm not hard. It's true. I will rescue you. That's a faithful shepherd, a mighty worrying king. And that's our king. And that's your king. He will always rescue you. You might not feel like you need rescuing now, but sometime in your life you will. And hopefully you'll remember that he will run to you in the darkest, in the, midis, the, the, in the middle of the darkest night, he will come and rescue, rescue you. As the man said, he supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He's not a hard master, but loving, mercifully, full of compassion. He wants our lives to agree with this truth. He wants our words to reflect him. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what God wants. He wants us to proclaim his excellencies. That's why I love he is my king. I wonder if you know him. We need to proclaim his excellencies. We need to remind ourselves we are to proclaim it, his goodness, his gracious acts, his righteousness. Proclaiming him keeps us in faith. It's the antidote for every attack and trial. It's the antibiotic for spiritual amnesia, forgetfulness, all he has ever accomplished in our lives. How quick we forget when we're going through a trial. You know, you could be serving him for 40 years, seeing miracle after miracle, and another trial comes, and all of a sudden we have amnesia. But the Lord is saying, that's not necessary. Just dwell on who I am. If we get downcast, depressed, and anxious, or fearful, discouraged, etc., too many days is it's possible that we have forgotten his excellencies in our lives. It doesn't mean it removes the trial, but it sure gives you strength while you're going through it. Why? Because you know there's an end from the beginning. He's the antidote for joy and peace, assured answers, and his throne, and his throne. Continue in belief, him, continue in him, and to believe in him, in his ways. Continue to proclaim his excellencies. Even if nobody in this room ever had a testimony, we can proclaim his, we can proclaim his excellencies. Like I said, look through an eye where you can see color. Look at the sky. Look at the world. It's an amazing thing what our God has done. In Psalm 145, 
6 through 11. It says this, people, the Lord exalted, people will speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They will burst forth speaking of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. Think about that part right alone. His mercies are over all his works. He's over all of our life is the mercy of God, shielded with the mercy of God. And then it says, all your works shall give you thanks. They'll give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of your, the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. Wouldn't it be nice if our conversations were more and more surrounded by talking about his power and the glory of his kingdom, right? What a difference it would be for us and those around us. We are to always declare his excellencies and talk of the glory of his kingdom and his powerful and his power. We proclaim his kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven when his kingdom comes upon us. In the darkest of times, the Lord shows up. Lazarus was dead. He was actually very dead. And four days later, the Lord came to him. And then the kingdom of God came upon Lazarus and he was alive. That's an impossible situation, isn't it? And there's so many in the book we don't have time for. But I thought Lazarus is a, a great illustration of the impossible situation where it was turned into a possible situation. The grave couldn't hold Christ and he wasn't going to let it hold Lazarus. There will be a day that death takes us, but it will not hold us. You know, we know the song, right? Ain't no grave going to hold this body down. I love that song. Um, a few months ago, they told me to stop singing at work because they thought it was a, one of my friends there, they thought it was kind of a depressing song. But I saw it as a, an exciting song. And I only knew that one line, ain't no grave going to hold this body down, right? When you hear the trumpet sound. But the truth is this, it is a sad thing to leave this planet. You don't want to leave your family. But we have hope. We have such a glorious place that we're headed to. So when, what the Lord is saying, even in death, I'm with you. Even when you cross through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. You have hope. This is our hope. He is our hope. He is our Savior. That's why he went to the cross. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That is an amazing testimony right there. His his greatness, his mercy, his power is going to turn us into glory, and we are going to live with the Lord forever. If you're going through a tough time, a stressful time, a confusing time, time of obstacles that collectively have created mountains that will not, cannot be moved, then remember Ezekiel, what he saw in Ezekiel 37 in the New American Standard. If you want to put it up, I'm going to just read the vision that he had. But I'm going to read... Um, the last verse first, so not to confuse you, you can go to one, but I'm going to read 11 first. In verse 11, this was the vision explained. It's nice to know first why it was explained before we read it. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are, in, are the entire house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Can you imagine that kind of despair? The Lord heard those words. He heard the cries of his children. And then he gives this vision to Ezekiel. 
God heard their words of, dis of discouragement and gives Ezekiel this powerful experience. He says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He had me pass among them all around, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry, not just dry, they were very dry, like Lazarus, not just dead, very dead. Then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And he answered, Lord, only you know. And I think that was a nice way of him saying no. I don't think he knew the answer to that. I know I wouldn't have. But he said, Lord, only you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And that's what God will say to us many times. You feel dry. You feel hopeless. You feel like there's no hope. Nothing's going to change. And he send, he'll send his, the spirit of God and say to you, hear the word of the Lord. Right? Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says to these bones. Behold, I'm going to make them breathe. Enter, I'm going to make breath enter you so that you may come to life. And I will attach tendons to you. I will make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you so that you may come to life and that you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a loud noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, tendons were on them. Flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me again, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, the Lord says this, come from the four winds, breathe, and breathe on these slain so that they will come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet and became an exceedingly great army. Not only did they come alive, not only did he restore, not only did he do the impossible, but they turned into an exceedingly great army. They didn't just walk home, say, where have we been? How did this happen? They, they got together and they became an army for the Lord. His, his, his nation, Israel, who was forsaken, they became a great army. And isn't that what God can do for us? The Valley of Dry Bones is amazing when you consider they had all been dead for a long time. And yet, the Lord said, you prophesy, you speak to the deadness, right? We proclaim his excellencies. We have to speak out of our mouth the word of the Lord. The impossible, you declare the, my word and what I say that I will do. And Ezekiel prophesied a future and a hope for these bones. And not only did they walk again, but they became an army. Is there anything God cannot do in our lives? Is there anything that he won't do? Is there anything he won't do in the lives of those around us? And the answer is no. You know, we might say, Lord, only you know, but we can say no. You are going to bring the dead to life. All we need to do is prophesy his mercy and his kindness and his, and his power over them in prayer. Prayer is so powerful. As we prophesy over them, the devil wants to get you to forget his excellencies. He wants you to forget his power. He doesn't want you to dwell and meditate on the power of God. He wants you to meditate on the situation. He wants you to meditate on the person you're angry with. He wants you to, to meditate on your lack. He wants you to meditate on your... your Lack of freedom, your bones hurt. I don't know what it is. We all meditate on something, but we need to start thinking, what am I meditating on? Is my meditation about the power of God? Because if it is, you are going to be free as you're waiting for the answer to come. He wants us to be encouraged. We declare his excellencies, his will, and God will do the rest. Do we know him? Do we, do we see him with the eyes of our heart? Knowing the Lord changes our lives. Praising him becomes because of who he is comes through revelation of his spirit strengthening us. The Pharisees knew the word, but they missed the word that walked among them, right? 
We don't want to know the word and not know the God who walks among us. We need to know he's with us in our homes. He's with us in our workplace. He's with us in our cars. He's with you when you're mowing the grass. He's with you when you're washing your dishes. He's with you. And he's never going to leave you. He walks and talks with you along life's narrow way, right? Jesus said in John 5, he said to the Pharisees, you examine the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it's those scriptures that testify of me, his greatness, his power, and his mercy. So I want to read just in ending some of these words that we heard on the, on the screen this morning. But remember this, I heard this this week, and I don't know who he said it, I don't know who the person was, I heard it kind of in passing on a YouTube, you know, series, how that happens. He said this, the most influential person in our lives is ourselves. Because we talk to ourselves all the time, and more to ourselves than we, we hear anybody else. But what are we saying when nobody hears? What's the level of our peace as a result of those conversations? What's the level of our faith because of those conversations? You know, we've said this before on Tuesday night, you can go to work, you know, if you work with a lot of people, and you just know what the day's going to be like when they walk in. You know that they've been meditating all kinds of horrible stuff, because you go, morning, and they're like, hey, you know what I mean? And so I think we can do that in, in the kingdom, and the Lord is saying, just change all that. You know, just dwell on me. Let the Holy Spirit speak louder than our thoughts. Allow the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus, our King. Rehearse it, speak it, believe it. He says, I wonder, do you know him? My king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That's my king. Every single person in the, this room can say that. Remember the day of your salvation. Remember what he saved us from. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperally powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled and he's unprecedented. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes, he saves, he strengthens, and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He's, he discharges debtors. He delivers the captives, and he defends the feeble. And he says, I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. And I want to add, not the peace that the world gives. He gives a tangible peace that comes from his kingdom. When we pray, let your kingdom come, let your peace come, let the attributes, let the presence, let the atmosphere of heaven be upon me. His peace is different than what the world gives. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. We think his love changes depending on what we're doing and how, where we are in the scale of spirituality. I'm telling you, it doesn't, it doesn't change at all. He loves you more today. He, he loves you the same today as he did yesterday. He's never going to take away some of his love uh, like some people might. It increases. His love is matchless. His goodness, his goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I love when he says this in that video, I wish I could describe him to you. 
I played it for Annie, and she goes, that's so funny because he is describing him to us. But in his heart, he's like, there's so much more. I wish I could get out of my spirit what I'm trying to say about this king of ours. I wish it could come out of me. I can't even get it out in a song. I can't get it out in preaching. I can't get it out in these words. He's that big. He's that great. Isn't that amazing? I wish I could describe him to you. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind, and you can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Have you ever tried to not walk away from him, but you get dull for a little while, or you don't want to go to church for a little while, or you don't open your Bible for a little while? You can't stay there. You can't stay there. You just have to get back into the place. You just can't get him out of your, you can't get him out of your heart. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. They found out that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death could not handle him, and the grave could not hold him, and it will not hold us. He is our king. He's a mighty king. So that being said, is his hand not to, it's, his hand is not too short that he cannot save. There's nothing he can't do for us. His power is not limited and he can't, that he can't heal somebody. His love is stronger than all the hate and the turmoil that surrounds your life, and his grace is sufficient. His grace is tangible. It's not just a word. These are not empty words. This is the kingdom of God. This is our king that lives in that kingdom, and he desires for us to come into this revelation of who he is. He wants us to know him. He wants us to proclaim him. He wants us filled with faith, that faith that comes from knowing him. Declare him today. Declare him every day that he is your king, the righteous one. You know, I was reading in Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, it says that the, the righteous are bold as a lion. But up above that, it's 28.1. Before it says the righteous are bold as a lion, it says that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing. That's not, that's not for God's people. That's not our heritage. The wicked flee when no one's pursuing them. They're fearful. They're running. They don't even know what they're running from. He says, but my children, my people, they are as bold as lions. Why are we bold? Not in our own strength. We don't have anything. We are bold because we know the lion from the tribe of Judah. David knew him. In Psalm 19, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse declares the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals his knowledge. There is no speech, and there are no words. Their voice is not even heard, but it declares who God is. Jeremiah knew him during his persecution. Jeremiah, when he was being persecuted by the people, he was not a popular prophet. They weren't asking Jeremiah to come to their churches to do a conference. But in Jeremiah 20, it says this, I'm in taunting all day long. He was complaining. He was, he was a weeping prophet. He had a rough call. And he goes, I'm in taunting all day long. And then he goes in verse 9 of 20. But if I say I will not remember him, nor speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm tired of holding it in. I pray that we'd be tired of holding it in because we have a fire in our bones that the, that the world needs to hear. We don't have to be Jeremiah. We don't have to be David. We just be who we are, where we are in our world, mothers, fathers, work people, whatever we are. But the fire within us, the Lord, we know we have, to, we have a voice. We need to speak of him. He gets in us that much that we cannot not praise him. We can't stop talking about him. So Jeremiah had to declare, he had to speak the power of God within him. It could not be stopped and it couldn't be hindered. Paul, Paul knew him. He wrote most of the New Testament, didn't he? My favorite scripture, I say this all the time, but this truly is my favorite scripture of all. Of all, of all scriptures, this is my favorite scripture. In 2 Corinthians 9, this is what Paul says after all his persecution and all, his, um, all of his um, 
shipwrecking and all those things that were happening there. He says, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul knew his God. Who rescued us from so great danger of death, and this is the part I love, and will rescue us. He on whom we have set our hope, and yet he will deliver us again. So that's what the Lord is saying. I've rescued you before, I've delivered you before, and I will rescue and deliver you again because you are my children and I am your God. I am your father and he is our king, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, our savior, that we have the, the privilege and the ability and access to walk into the throne of the father who could kill us like that, yet he accepts us because of the blood of the lamb and he literally loves us and he likes us. That's our king. Time will not permit to list all the people in this book. And time wouldn't permit if everybody got up here and declared what he's done for you. But you know what he's done. And the Lord is just saying on this Father's Day, remember, I'm a good father. I'm with you. I've never left you. Even the things you don't understand that have happened in your past, you need to know that I'm with you. Even though you don't understand the timing of the answers that you're praying for, you need to know I'm good and I'm going to do everything I said I would do. I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to make myself known to you. So on this Father's Day, remember who your king is. And that's all I have today. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the spirit of the living God. We thank you, Lord God, that you take feeble words and you turn them into to something that builds inside of your people. Father God, I thank you for that. I thank you that I can call you my king. I, I thank you that you've touched everyone in this house and you touch their families. And we thank you for the precious blood that surrounds them. I speak your blessing over them today, Father. I pray that as they come in and go out, Father God, it will be well with them. I pray that you would look upon them, that your face would shine upon them, Lord God, and you would rescue them and let them know that you're for them and not against them. I speak peace to their households, Lord God, and I thank you, Father God, that you're going to cause growth in them to know you in a greater way. We thank you for the opportunity that we can come to pray to you all the time, Father God. You're seeking for us to, to speak your word over the life of the feeble and the lost and the broken. And we don't take it lightly, Father. We thank you, and we give you the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.